1: Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. And we're going to look at some of the players who are going to have a big impact on this year for the 49ers, or at least should have a big impact on this year for the 49ers, that maybe haven't gotten a ton of burn this offseason. And understandably, there's been a lot going on. So we are going to get into the -the under-the-radar players that matter most for San Francisco uh, this year. Let's get into it.
0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
1: So if there's a small noise in the background, it's my fan that's running and it's required to run right now because I don't think summer officially starts until a week from today. We're recording this Tuesday, June 14th. I believe summer officially starts June 21, but we're beating the heat. How's that going? And I have to, it's going fine. Actually, the fan is very helpful, which is why I didn't want to turn it off for the pod. Sure. And I figured if it's not coming through, then fine. But if it is, then we can make a bit out of it, as we are wont to do.
2: Yeah, we've had some 100-degree days over the last week in Sacramento. I think it was 91 today. It's going to be like 98 tomorrow. Part of, part of my way for beating the heat this week, um, our mutual friend, Nate, your best man in your wedding, and I are playing golf. We're teeing off tomorrow Must be nice. at 6.50 a.m. In order to uh, to beat the heat on a ninety seven degree day, so
1: are you gonna go sun hat?
2: No, I I only rock the sun hat when it's when it's really needed for like training camp. I can't do it on the golf course because like my my hands will like hit the hat. Right, the it just through. messes with your
1: game. Yeah, yeah. yeah t- t- totally. I can't you know I can't release the club as much as I'd like to with the hat yeah, on. Yeah, no, totally. It messes with your wrist action. <laughs> I I get it. You work so much on your take back and just have it messed up. And the fouring tot- and all that. Totally. <laughs> if you talk about your shaft lean on this podcast again, I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> alright let's let's dive into the under the radar players. And I think this is this is not to say like uh anybody has done a bad job of uh, specifically us has done a bad job of like going over the 49ers roster this offseason, but between the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff, the Debo Samuel stuff and the 49ers installing a new starting quarterback who was the number three overall pick last year. The headlines have been dominated by the top of the roster. And I think now is a good time with, you know, a month, a little over a month until training camp to start looking at some of the players that maybe we haven't talked about a lot on, on the pod. Well, yeah, let's,
2: let's be honest. Like, The Niners canceling the last week of OTAs. They've moved up the mandatory minicamp to last week. It was initially scheduled for this week. They flipped it and then decided to cancel the final week. So we are officially in the slowest part of the offseason. Like there's no draft. There's no free agency. You know, there's the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff, which is going to get sorted out at some point. But (laughs) we are officially in the dead period. So this is the time of the year where it's like, Hey, let's look at under the radar guys on the roster or let's let's look at (laughs) let's look at roster battles for training camp like we are just warning everybody we are in the slowest portion of of the calendar season of, of the NFL calendar and it makes for some rough content when there's not a lot of news going on.
1: So you guys you guys a that's very very honest of you B you guys listeners are lucky this isn't just 40 minutes of warriors talk because boy we've got takes (laughs) we'll get there and yeah light minutes coming up later in the podcast um and then and then i like that this time of year when you write something that's like you know, because it's the time of year that it is. Like you just laid it out. Content is hard to come by, at least interesting content. And we're going to do our very best, I promise. But when you write something and somebody's like, well, slow news day, like, yeah, man, it's June 19th on the NFL calendar.
2: Yeah, like, like I'm literally <laughs> sitting around trying to come up with post ideas to to give the people and you're yeah. complaining about free
1: content. Like, you, you let me know, know, you let relax. me know what, and this is not even, I'm not even, because I get it, like there's been some stuff that I've written, I'm just going to be honest here, where it's like, <laughs> this is dumb, but here we go, I guess. And uh, genuinely, if there's something that you want us to talk about, or there's something you want like writers to write about or cover specifically me me at kyle a Madsen on twitter uh that's Madsen with an o um let me know because i will write it like hit me with a topic and i'm writing it like a 49ers related topic
2: we could and we can always open up the mailbag again and do mailbag oh dude those the off-season mailbag yeah the off-season mailbags are fun getting getting ready for training camp but yeah so you know just I like to I like to let <laughs> the listeners quick. peek behind the curtain a little bit and let, let them know when gonna, we're struggling for content ideas.
1: I'm throwing the curtain all the way back. I hit you up earlier just to confirm we we're gonna do a podcast today because you asked if we wanted to do one last night, wasn't feeling it. So was like let's do one Tuesday. Confirmed, and you were like, Yeah. An hour and a half later, because I said, We're doing a pod, and you were like, Yeah, definitely. <laughs> hour and a half later, you hit me with, What do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, there's like, we question. We went to, we went to training or we went to OTAs. We went to mini camp. You can listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Like there's just, again, it's the, it's the slowest part of the off season. So we have, I'm guessing the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff will be, will you know, start bubbling again next month, right before training camp starts or players report. Um, and then once these guys get back on the field, I'll be there and, and we'll have much more much more hard-hitting analysis with uh, with actual things to take from practice, but until then, man, we're going to come up with some lists and some talking points and some
1: takes because if we're you professional. If you've got lists you want us to make, fire them off. Yeah, we will send them send them Kyle's them. way. And we, if they're that good, we'll do them on the pod too. We'll yeah. get Chris's takes. Yeah. All right, let's let's jump in. The we've each got three players that we think are are under the radar going into a uh, training camp, going into this year and under the radar, just in terms of how important they are for San Francisco. Like we know Trey Lance, we know Trent Williams and George Kittle. Like they a players have to be a players. We talked about that last year a lot. And that was a big catalyst for their run at the end of the season was, Hey, Fred Warner started playing like Fred Warner again. And Trent Williams was as 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 good as ever. And Debo Samuel was having his great year. And George Kittle really broke out in the second half. So I that's all obvious. But the first player I'm gonna go with that just hasn't gotten a ton of run, I think, this offseason. We've talked so much about the interior of the offensive line. And it's been, you know, Jake Brendel is their is their front runner at center. Aaron Banks, their second-round pick from last year, can he fill in it right guard or uh, left guard after they lose Lake and Tomlinson? What does he look like? A player that's not getting talked about a lot, though, is another draft pick from last year. That's Jalen Moore, the left tackle from Western Michigan. They drafted him in the fifth round. They took him to play guard because he's undersized for an NFL tackle, but he played four years there in college and during training camp and the preseason when Trent Williams wasn't participating, he just kind of took over that left tackle spot and wound up playing tackle all year. Uh, And never got it. Never, never really got an opportunity to compete at guard. But you said this last year and just kind of watching him and the way he just very quickly stepped in at left tackle. And the fact that he filled in well enough that he was the swing tackle to open the year. I think, says something about his ability as an offensive lineman. And I, I think the best version of the 49ers offensive line has him starting at right guard this year.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't think you're far off on that. I know there are people um, in the building that like Jalen Moore a lot and like thought that he was a better player on first impression when he first joined the 49ers after the draft, like they thought he was a better player right away than Aaron Banks. Clearly, you know, they believe Aaron Banks has a higher ceiling, given that he was a second round pick while Moore was a fifth round pick. But, you know, Moore was closer to being able to contribute while Banks had to remake his body, which apparently he's done this off season um, and become better acquitted to handle the scheme, right. Which requires a lot of movement skills, for for the guards. Right. And that's, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I was told at one point that um, Lakin Tomlinson had to go through also like when he first joined the 49ers, he wasn't a perfect fit for that guard spot. But eventually after working in and, and sort of reshaping his body and getting used to the schemes and the steps and all of those things, he ultimately became a pro bowl level left guard and a very right. good player for the 49ers and somebody who got cashed out in free agency. At a price the 49ers weren't willing to pay. Um, so the 49ers are hoping banks can can do something similar. But what, when it comes to Moore, what surprised me a little bit last year was that he was so stuck at left tackle, right? Like he had played there in college, he was he was good enough there to get drafted after playing there. The 49ers ultimately envisioned him playing guard, but when Justin School towards ACL um, I believe it was an ACL or an Achilles I forget but um, in the it was summer, an
1: ACL in OTAs yeah it was in
2: OTAs right they had a string injuries in OTAs last year um, and school was one of them and he was their swing tackle and so that sort of changed the initial trajectory for Jalen Moore instead of kicking inside and playing guard it was all right well we need this guy at tackle because for right now he's the best option behind Trent Williams Um, And then as the season went on, Colton McKivitz, I think, started playing left tackle. I think he played uh, he played there at the end of the season um, against the Rams in week 18, if memory serves, while Williams was hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. But Moore has been during this offseason has been working at right guard um, while Daniel Brunskill, who's been the starter for the last two or three years, um, has been dealing with knee tendinitis. And there's a belief that Brunskill is going to be in the mix at center. Um, which potentially means that Moore could be starting at right guard uh, when the season starts. And I ultimately think that Jalen Moore has a much higher ceiling than Daniel Brunskill. Um, and is somebody, I think long-term you feel better about than Brunskill who's been about an average NFL guard, right? Like I know he's had some moments and some quality games against Aaron Donald, but I don't find that to be something that the 49ers can roll up, rely on, right? Like, Right. I don't think they consider Daniel Brunskill the Aaron Donald stopper, despite some metrics from PFF or whatever, you know. And I think that was pretty apparent in the NFC Championship game.
1: Well, and I think, and I don't, I don't want to come across like this is bagging on Daniel Brunskill because if he has to, if he's the starter at right guard, fine, like that, fine. But they can definitely improve there. It's not a disaster if he's the starter. But ideally, a player like Jalen Moore would step up and offer an improvement at that spot. Again, not because Brunskill is awful, but because he's you know league average or a little below. If you can get a player who is a little above or far above league average at that spot, I think that, A, that helps Mike McGlinchey at right tackle and his return from injury. Um, it helps whoever the center is going to be whether it's Jake Brendel or, you know, Brunskill or someone else. I just, I think that Jalen Moore is the one name that just hasn't come up enough when we've talked about the interior of, of the offensive line, because there's a real chance that he steps in and offers this like sizable upgrade over what they had at right guard last season.
2: Yeah, and I think ultimately that there's a belief and some validity to the idea that Brunskill is probably best served being the sixth or seventh offensive lineman, like a backup who can play anywhere, right? Like you might be better off having Which him is there. good. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Like I don't think the guy sucks or the guy should be cut and doesn't deserve a job. I just don't know that he's
1: necessarily it's the, it's the,
2: a great option to be a starting guard in the league um get you know he's kind of undersized he's he's not like super strong he's fine like I I look at Daniel Brunskill as like a replacement level right guard which is certainly a spot that you can upgrade
1: and if your depth is such that he is your first or second offensive lineman off the bench you you just feel so much better about what your starters look like knowing that a player of that caliber like you said league average maybe maybe just just a tick below is on your bench like that that means your starting group is is pretty damn good yeah and i think i think the 49ers would tell you the same thing that ideally that's kind of the role he plays agreed so if Jalen moore is good that's good for the 49ers yep
2: i think that's i think we've hit the quota for interior offensive line talk so far
1: boy all right hit the mark just for today though
2: (laughs) we'll get back to it don't worry don't worry interior offensive line heads we're putting a pin in that (laughs) coming back to it Um, yeah so my first guy um i did a little bit of asking around trying to figure out what is what the nickel situation is going to look like right because with kwan williams leaving um obviously you know kwan williams has been a very good player for the 49ers but um, he's now a member of the Denver Broncos and I think the 49ers were okay with losing him because look, they, they kind of got K1 Williams off the scrap heap, right? Like they, they view nickel sort of in the same vein as guard in the sense that you could find a quality player without spending premium dollars in free agency or using a first round pick on the position. Right. So I think right. the guy that, um, I've heard who's impressed uh, at nickel and i know they they like Arquez denard and he's a veteran and he's played a lot Um, and he played pretty well in spurts for the 49ers last year in sort of a an emergency role um i think they like sam womack the fifth round pick from hmm. toledo um and you know it, it's obviously he's not a finished product and he and i'm not saying he's necessarily winning the competition because he wasn't even getting first team reps in the practices that i was at during the spring But I think they drafted him. And this is look, this is another fifth round guy who sort of checks the intangibles boxes. Right. Like he played a lot of football, um, but he's not the biggest guy. He's listed at um, five, nine, one eighty nine. But like he played a lot of football. He was a walk on at Toledo. And the reason why he went to Toledo is because he was a high school basketball player and he played AEU tournaments instead of doing the, the recruiting camps and going on the recruiting circuit and all that. Um, he ended up setting a school record for PBUs and finished his career with five interceptions um, team captain, uh, which is a big deal, obviously. And, and the 49ers like his toughness and just sort of his mindset and his, you know, quote unquote football character. Is um, he a dog? Yeah, potentially,
1: potentially a dog, potential dog. Yeah, but like four, back.
2: three, nine, forty, six, eight, seven. Ooh, good comb. list. Potential dogs. Potential. I'm yeah, sorry. Back, go ahead. Do your, some, do your some thing. Some like mid July content for yeah. potential, potential dogs. Potential. Potential dudes. Um, <laughs> um, no, but like I think they like Womack, and if you look at the way the 49ers have. Drafted in the fifth round, it's like they've found guys who just fit the criteria of what they want from like a mental standpoint. And football character is a big thing for them, and and I think Womack fits into that. And look, the Lenore is still going to be in the mix. I think he, you know, mentally he's still got some some mistakes that he has to overcome, and there I think he needs to mature a little bit, and and those type of things. But Lenore is certainly talented enough to be in that mix. But when we're talking about like projecting who's going to start, who's going to be the primary nickel this season, I think right now, based on, you know, what I'm sort of hearing that Sam Womack is a guy to keep an eye on. Um, And it makes sense given how the 49ers have drafted in the fifth round and um, found some found some gems in that round. Like I think Womack could be the next one.
1: And it's fascinating that we're talking about this nickel situation with a rookie fifth-round pick potentially filling in there, which would then leave either Emmanuel Mosley or Ambry Thomas or... Um, I guess not your various words, but D'Amador Lenore. Like, there's... Dante there's, Johnson. There's several, like, NFL-caliber players who... Are, are maybe not so much Dante Johnson, but he has a role, but not for necessarily what I'm talking about. Like there's going to be an NFL caliber player that's just on the bench in nickel situations because I think Amber Thomas is an NFL player. Emmanuel Mosley obviously is. Treverius Ward's not coming off the field, but if Samuel Womack can step in and and be as good, so good at nickel that the 49ers don't like move Mosley inside to put Thomas outside and nickel. Like that's huge. And if they can find a rookie that can contribute at that level in year one, that not only makes their secondary strong, but B like now this position that just had this massive depth issue last year is now like six players deep with NFL guys like Dante Johnson is a little bit in the Daniel Brunskill category to me of like, you probably don't want him playing every down, but if he has to finish a game for somebody, you don't feel horrible about it.
2: I mean, he was playing nickel in the playoffs, Dante Johnson and the Niners defense played pretty well for the most part.
1: Yeah. So I just, I, I think that if Samuel Womack is that good right away, like a credit to the niners for an office but b this could be a secondary to match with a pass rush that we'll talk about in a little bit that oh spoiler could give you like could give you like no not all the way tease it's a tease okay not a spoiler um pass rush talk coming up in 5 um <laughs> no it's just they're they would pair then a secondary with their pass rush that like Better than 2019 in terms of the secondary play they're getting. Like, there's that level of potential. Not that they'll necessarily get there, but that's the kind of defense that they're building where it's like starting caliber is not only good, or their starting quality is not only good, but their depth can then match it, which, which is, I think, paramount in the modern NFL where injuries are just so prevalent. So, we've talked about Jalen Moore,
2: right? Fifth round pick, potential starter, right guard. Talanoa Hufanga, fifth round pick, probably the favorite to to start at strong safety. Um, George Kittle, fifth round pick, right? DJ Reed ended up being a starter in the league after leaving the 49ers, fifth round pick. Um, DJ Jones, sixth round pick, but I think I I would group him in the same category, even though he went around later. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. there's just a trend of like the 49ers finding some of these dudes who I either contribute in bit roles or eventually become starters. And I, I would just I think Womack could could follow suit. Greenlaw could be also, dude. all the way, by by the way. Yeah. 2019 rookie season.
1: Yeah. I DJ Reed good. got cashed out by what? The Jets? The Jets cashed out DJ Reed? Rob Sala? I'm gonna Reunion? I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna trust you with that information because I forget at the top off the top of my head.
1: For more DJ Reed talk, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, (laughs) No, moving on. Uh, The the next one is a wide receiver that hasn't gotten a ton of burn this offseason. And that's Brandon Ayuk. And he finished last season strong. And I don't think it's necessarily a secret that he needs to be good this year. But I don't know if the 49ers can survive if he just comes if he's as, if he comes out as slow as he did last year and I don't think that bodes well for his future I don't think that bodes well for Trey Lance because if Ayuk hits his ceiling that he can hit this year pairing that with what Debo Samuel provides as a pass catcher combining that with George Kittle combining that with some of the other players who we may get to on this list tease um I just you want to surround Trey Lance with as good of a supporting cast as possible, and when you talk about his skill set and his ability to push the ball down the field, I think that's where Brandon Iu can be really, really productive. Maybe not necessarily running by people and taking the top off the defense, but the 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 play that always sticks out to me is is the Jimmy Garoppolo throw to Iuk against the against the Cowboys. Where dust Travon Diggs gets open up the left side and Garoppolo just misses him on what would have been a huge game, and that's where I think Brandon Ayuk could really break out this year and really offer Trey Lance something that uh, I don't know if anybody else on the roster can provide, just in terms of the ability to gain separation down the field. Um, so I think Brandon Ayuk needs to be really good. A lot of the focus has been on Debo Samuel. A lot of the focus has been on a couple other receivers, but. I, I, I don't think we can necessarily take it for granted that Ayuk is just going to come out and hit the ground running this year just because of what we saw last year. You'd figure he wouldn't do it two years in a row, but I, I think that I think is going to have a, a really big year for San Francisco.
2: Off the top of your head, without looking, unless you have his pro football reference page up, um, how many yards do you think Brandon Ayuk had last year?
1: um 813
2: all right well you were close it was 826 but point being I, like, like
1: literally j- just wrote about it <laughs> okay yeah
2: that makes sense so
1: if Which you were is, to ask me
2: if you were to ask me like based on how much we talked about brain and iuk last year relative to Debo samuel in particular
1: i would have said 500 yards dude, dude when i when i initially because when i write and i do stats I just either put X or I just put like a number in there. Five hundred was the number I put because that's I was guessing like 515 ish. That's
2: sort of what it felt like. And then
1: you look, you're like,
2: oh, he was 100 yards, <laughs> and and he didn't miss a game, right? So sort of, <laughs> sort of, yeah. I mean, he 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 was in uniform and took snaps in all seventeen regular season right. games and all all three playoff games, but um. Yeah, you know what's interesting about Ayuk too. Like he's been spending a lot of time working out with Trey Lance in the off season, and you talk to him. I, I remember I asked him a, a question in a press conference he had during the spring about um, what he learned from last year, and and the big thing he talked about was like how to take coaching, um, and just sort of how to have the same mental approach no matter what the circumstances are, and try not to take it personally and and those types of things, and so. I think there is a level of maturity that Brandon Ayuk is, you know, he's improving in that aspect of, of being a professional. Um, and so I think year three could be a nice jumping off point, particularly given that like, he's been working with Trey Lance a lot and it's apparent on the practice field too. Like Brandon Ayuk has typically been Trey Lance's favorite target and look, that's without Debo Samuel or George Kittle practicing. Right. Um, but I do think there is a, a real possibility that Ayuk does break out, and like physically he has all the tools you want right like he's got big hands, he can run the routes he's an explosive athlete he's not huge he's six foot two hundred pounds, but I think he plays bigger than he is because of his physicality and his long arms and um yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if you know in in February we're talking about brain and ayuk as somebody as a as a pretty Interesting player to look at in the offseason because he's coming off a 1200 yard, you know, yeah. eight touchdown season. And you're like, do they extend him? Do they, you know, right. assume, assuming Debo Samuel gets paid this offseason, like, do you extend Brandon Ayuk? Do you, you know, risk going into next season with the holdout possibility? If he doesn't get extended, do you trade him? Because You don't want to wrap up forty million dollars a year in your two receivers while you have the highest pay or one of the highest paid tight ends in the league. Like, um, so yeah, Ayuk's a very interesting player. He has a lot to play for this season, given his financial future and that he's eligible for an extension after the season. So, him popping this year and and having a twelve or thirteen hundred yard season wouldn't surprise me.
1: Yeah, and I think when you when you look at Trey Lance's ability to extend plays and get outside the pocket a player with Ayuk's skill set and his ability to change directions quickly and then get like that explosiveness, that 10 yard split scramble that, drill that comes in, in a scramble drill. And if he's the player that Trey Lance ends up having a good connection with. Um, I don't want to put it on this level necessarily just because we haven't seen it, but you know, like Russell Wilson with Doug Baldwin, where Russell Wilson got outside the pocket, Doug Baldwin was getting open somewhere. Well, I mean, it, it just—how many times did we see that both against the Forty ers and and not against the Forty ers And if Brandon Ayuk can develop into that type of target, where third and six play breaks down, Lance gets outside the pocket, and oh, Ayuk broke his route off, and there he is, wide open. That's that's an element that the Forty ers offense I think was missing that Lance could could bring in. And Ayuk, Niners could have a really good receiving core. Um. So PFF, PFF ranked them the number six receiving core in the league. Yeah.
2: I, I don't disagree. And I was,
1: I dude, that's what, when I first saw that, I was like, that's insane. Like, this is a typical, like PFF analytics. What, but then you start reading and it's like Debo Samuel's good as hell at catching the football, <laughs> uh, led the league in yards per reception last year with a quarterback who couldn't throw it down the field. Right. Um, Brandon, Ayuk if you just take away the first like six games was awesome last year outside of that weird start. And then they included George Kittle. And then um, do you want to talk about Juwan Jennings now?
2: Yeah. Let's talk about Juwan Jennings now, but real quick, like, so Juwan Jennings is Chris's next guy. That's a spoiler. Yeah. He's my next guy. I'm just, I'm just looking. So Brandon, Ayuk, of course had no catches the first uh, the first game of the season and then one in week two Through the first six games. He had nine catches Um, through the net through the remaining 11. He had 47. Right. So Jeez. over the, over the last 11 games, he had 730 yards and four touchdowns and caught. So
1: 70% of his balls. <laughs> so, so 95% of his production.
2: Yeah. And he was getting look like week one, 47% of the snaps week two 54 67, 71, and then it's 88, 93, 90, 93, 90, 93, 94, 98, 93, 90, 93. Like he clearly earned trust, right? And the 49ers aren't gonna have to worry about him returning punts because they got Ray McLeod for that.
1: Um I am interested. I am I am real quick before we get to Jennings, I am interested to see because his production, like the rise in his production coincided with the rise of Debo Samuels rushing production like Debo started getting those rushing touches, which meant there was a void in the receiving core. And I think IUke really filled up that void. So I'm interested to see if, if Debo Samuel really is unhappy with that running back role, which would make sense. Um, if, if I, can still be productive, even with another top receiver across from him.
0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: Okay, I'm going to play. We're going to play this game again. Um, how many touchdowns? Is Brandon do you Ayuka dude? Sorry, he, go ahead. He's got dude potential. Um. How many touchdowns did Juwan Jennings have last year?
1: Without looking at um, it. Um Jennings had five touchdowns. You're right. Um Yes. The same we the same the same Hang as on. I, I name them all. Can I name them all? No, please. okay, go ahead. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna think um, I'm gonna think.
2: He had the same number of touchdowns as Brandon Ayuk. He had one less than George Kittle and Debo Samuel had through the air. Man, Debo had 14 touchdowns last year, and six of them came as it was as through the air. That's crazy. Um, but anyway. And four of those came from Trey Lance. Yeah, and four of them came from Trey Lance. <laughs> so um I think Juwan Jennings has the potential to be a better version of what Kendrick Bourne was for the 49ers offense when he was sort of peaking in 2019 and 2020. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I think there's, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that the 49ers are going to get 17 games from both Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Um, and with the unique ways that you could use Debo Samuel, there's potential for Juwan Jennings to, have more of a role, particularly in the passing game. And we know the 49ers are going to run the ball a lot. And we know Kyle Shanahan loves Juwan Jennings blocking. Um, so I think even though the 49ers might not be a super pass-heavy team, I think Juwan Jennings is going to get a lot of snaps, and I think he's earning snaps. Um, so I think he's somebody that, you, you know, you talk about under-the-radar guys, third down and in the red zone, given his size and his physicality, um, I think he's going to be on the field a lot, and I think he could mm-hmm. be somebody that becomes sort of a, an unsung hero of the offense, and he might not have eight catches a game, but you know, the two or three targets that he does get are going to come on third down when people are doubling George Kittle and you know, moving a safety over to uh, Debo Samuel's side of the field. And you know, playing paying close attention to where Iuk is, like there's there are going to be opportunities for Juwan Jennings to really help his offense. And we saw it late last season. He had the two touchdowns against the Rams in week 18 in the game the 49ers had to have. Um, and that sort of continued a little bit in the playoffs. But I just think, and I think I said it on last week's pod or maybe a week before that, but I think Jennings is somebody that um could take a pretty substantial leap and somebody who's you know a seventh round pick who runs a 7 4 40 like just not That's a right. fast guy <laughs> it's actually 4 7 but um he's slow for a receiver way faster than me by the way um but yeah i just think James, yeah but
1: can he break 90 on the golf course
2: probably not not. <laughs> But, um, no, no, I think, I think Jennings, I think Jennings could, um,
1: could be a guy who really contributes this, this next season. I think he's really good. I just, I think his understanding of where to find space and how to gain separation, despite not being super fast is like a good skill to have. It's, it's one of those classic, like, does he get open and catch the ball? Like, yes, then cool. Forget the measurements. I, um, it's part of the reason Cooper Cup fell to the third round, right? All the guy did was get open and catch footballs in college. And there was concern about, oh, his 40 time and this and that. Um, I just I think Juwan Jennings is a good player.
2: There's also something which I probably should have led with on, on Jennings with, you know, Kyle Shanahan said this spring that Juwan Jennings separates better than any other receiver that they have, like, Yeah, separates from coverage. And that's not about 40 time, obviously. That's not about 10 yard splits or anything. That's just about getting open, mm-hmm. playing football. And Juwan Jennings apparently is really good at that. And for him to be better at that than Debo Samuel, who's a star in the league, and Brandon Ayuk, who's the first round pick who we think has star potential. Like, I think that says a lot, right? And so yeah. if Juwan Jennings can get open for the 49ers, while they have so many other weapons that defenses have to worry about, I think that could be a, a pretty substantial
1: development. And he is a really good run blocker. Right. So that which which helps a lot. Right. Just reiterating your point. Um, so I tried to remember all of Juwan Jennings touchdowns last year, and I couldn't. I had week two against Philly. He had two against no, the Rams, sorry. so that's three. He had one against right.
2: Minnesota that's in a correct. game that Frankly, I remember zero things about that Minnesota game.
1: The do you want to know what I remember the most about that Minnesota game? Sure. Is watching from the press box angle at Justin Jefferson getting actively frustrated with her oh, cousins right. like while the ball right, was right. in the
2: air. Yep. I do remember that. Like ball
1: on the way to the receiver and his hands are down and his head's tossed back because he knows the ball's nowhere close to him.
2: That was not incredible the, game. The best body language afternoon for for our guy Justin Jefferson in reacting and in reaction. And, to and then.
1: the Vikings extended Kirk Cousins.
2: Yeah. What an organization. To me, and I mean, I I don't know that this is related, but I don't know that it's necessarily not related. But D'Amico Ryan's not even taking the interview for the head coaching job with Minnesota is kind of like maybe he's not the biggest Kirk Cousins guy.
1: It had vibes of like I'd like to draft a quarterback this year, and then I'm going no, 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 no. You're locked. <laughs> We're in. resigning this. Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your
2: first, your first year too as a head coach is going to come with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. So just a yeah. heads up. And he's like, um, I'll, I'll be a coordinator for another year, and and yeah, check out my
1: options. I want to learn more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trey Lance, greater than Kirk Cousins. Not my take. D'Amico Ryan's take. Um, Potentially. My last guy, I want to switch to the other side of the ball for these last two. Treverius Moore, who just quietly returned from his Achilles injury and was the front runner before he got hurt. I think to start at strong safety last year. Uh Jaquaski Tart was obviously re signed, but he was he was banged up early in camp and wasn't working with the first team. Talano Fonga was getting a lot of those reps. I think Tervarius Moore would have gotten a lot of those reps, made the most of them. He bulked up to play strong safety. And with his athleticism, like, there's just... With what D'Amico Ryans does um, defensively, where it's not just the same scheme over and over and over again, where he mixes up coverages and and mixes up uh, responsibilities, I think Moore's athleticism will make him like a chess piece for D'Amico Ryans that isn't just like, okay, you have to play in the box because that's your skill set. Um, I think he is a he is a potential dangerous weapon for the 49ers defense. And if he can win and keep the starting strong safety job, I think their secondary is going to be really, really good, especially uh in the back end.
2: Yeah. So you look at the way the the safety p- position is composed right now. You have Jimmy Ward at free safety, you have Tavarius Moore who can play both. I think the 49ers would like to say that Talanoa Hufanga can play strong safety and free safety. I just don't think he has the speed to play free safety or the range like that Jimmy Ward has on the back end, particularly when they're doing those single high looks. Um ultimately, like I, I think Talanoa Hufanga is a good player. And I think he's probably like an overqualified third safety. You know, like I think Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, when you go dime and you bring in an extra DB, I think Hufanga is sort of in one of those roles where it's like, you know, five yards off the line of scrimmage, sort of as a hybrid linebacker type. Like I think that's kind of perfect for him. Um, and who knows, maybe instinctually, you know, he can overcome his lack of physical gifts and and be a good starter for them. But the thing Mm -hmm. you get with Tarvarius Moore, assuming he comes all the way back from that Achilles injury, is free safety like speed. And you get more of that interchangeability that the 49ers had with Jimmy Ward and Joukowsky Tart. Um, And I think that's important because when you can mix up your looks with your safeties and not worry about the drop off in range there, I think that poses an element of speed that your defense needs. Whereas you might not have that luxury if you have, if you're trying to switch up looks with Talanoa Hufanga. Right. So, You know, Hufanga has been the guy getting all the starters reps, at least in the spring and the practices that we've seen. But to your point, like if more as he gets more comfortable coming off the injury, if his speed comes back, I do. I do like the idea of having his speed paired with Jimmy Ward to cover the back end. And then Hufanga can be sort of that hybrid player where you mix and match his role and you, you know, come in on third down, third and eight. And you just need somebody who could potentially make, make plays against the pass and, you know, tackle close to the line of scrimmage and things like that. So um, I do think the safety position, if everybody's healthy, is, is pretty strong with those top three.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And if, if it's a situation where Hufanga is their best strong safety, like I don't feel bad about it.
2: Yeah, and but then Moore's Moore, your third Moore, guy. Moore's,
1: Moore, right. And Moore's athleticism just offers a different wrinkle that if I think he's on the field for every down, I think D'Amico Ryans could do some really fun, creative stuff with that. Um, and, and I think the best the best version of the 49ers defense involves Tavarius Moore playing at a high level. And so that's a player that I'm watching throughout training camp, just to kind of see where he's at physically, and then where he's working in, how what position he's working in at. And then he's played some corner too. So there's just a, a ton of versatility there that I I I just I really think San Francisco could take advantage of
2: he's also in his contract year mm. so this totally. is the last year of his rookie contract third round pick like talented dude really talented played corner wasn't a great fit at corners first season moved to safety started playing a lot better his college position and was a lot more comfortable there Um, and then tore his Achilles before he really got a second season at safety so yeah, I think this is um this is a good opportunity for him and if he is healthy, he could be a, a nice um a nice piece for the 49ers defense. Yep. Last guy. Last right? one. Last one. Oh, wow, this has yep. been a long, a long podcast for under the radar guys. Shouts to us and our analyses. They're um,
1: firmly on the radar now though.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, right. We, they're no longer welcome like, to off the, the radar, radar boys. Yeah,
1: shouts shouts
2: to us for putting you on the radar.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Sam- Chronicles putting players on the map. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Samson
2: Ebukam. I was gonna go That's Jake Brendel, but I think as we said earlier, I think we hit the quota on interior offensive line talk.
1: Well, and he's already on the radar, in my opinion.
2: Ebukam or Brendel? Brendel. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's the favorite to start right now, depending on Daniel Brown's skill and whatnot. Um, but Samson Ebukam. 5 sacks over the last 8 games including the playoffs. You he know,
1: was really good. That's a double digit last dig- half.
2: That paces out to a double digit sack season, right? So like that's that's quality quality stuff from your presumably second best defensive end and there's a possibility that he's their third best defensive end this year um depending on what happens with Drake Jackson, but I just think Ebukam's a solid player. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's somebody that they trust. I think they cashed him out to, to that contract last off season. It wasn't a huge contract for a pass rusher, but like they liked just who he was as a human. Um, his durability, he, he appeared, he hasn't missed a game in his career. Full stop. Five seasons in the league, zero missed games. He appeared in all 17 last year. Um, he started 11 because if you remember early on in the season, Eric Armstead was starting at defensive end uh, right. before Kam would come in as, as, a, as a nickel pass rusher. But um, I just think the 49ers have so much depth at defensive end that they're going to be able to maximize all of those guys, even though like they're not going to be able to give 40 snaps to all of their defensive ends, whether it's um, you know Charles Amenehu or Kerry Hyder. Or Jordan Willis, or Drake Jackson, or Samson Ebukam, like. But they're gonna all those guys are gonna be fresh, right? And they're gonna be able to pass rush in waves. And some of them are gonna be playing inside. But Ebukam is just, you know, he's twenty seven. He just turned twenty seven. He's in the prime of his career. He played with a knee injury last year that started bothering him in training camp, and he was he really just kind of played through it the entire season and didn't miss any time. Um, But the fact he came on late in the season with those five sacks over the last eight games, including the playoffs, like, I just think there's a possibility for him to get a lot of one-on-one matchups with Nick Bosa on the other side, Eric Armstead on that line, Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Javon Kinlaw and, you know, the other guys on the interior, but Samson Abukam is not going to be getting special treatment like he's going to be getting one-on-one matchups he's not going right. to get double teamed he's not really going to get shipped I don't think so he's going to be optimized in the sense that like all right you're going to play 15 snaps we're going to put you in the perfect position to pin your ears back and get after the quarterback um, you're not going to be going against double teams and people are going to be all worried about Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead that I think like if Samson Ebukam had eight sacks next year would you would you be stunned
1: not even a little bit,
2: and that would be you know that would be a really nice, you know if he's if he's third on the team with eight sacks, you know say Bosa gets fifteen or whatever Armstead gets eleven, and like Ebu has man, eight, man, like you're, Armstead like, has
1: eleven, that's gnarly.
2: Right. Well, but, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like they have enough depth to where it's not insane to say. Samson Cam could be third on the team with six to eight sacks. Right. And, it, and if you get that, that's a pretty substantial development and it means your pass rush is probably as good as you need it to be, to be a contending defense.
1: Yeah. And I think so Two two things here. One, you talked about kind of that relentless pass rush early in 2019 before deep Ford got hurt. That's why their pass rush was so hard to deal with because it was just a constant rotation of fresh guys and Late third into the fourth quarter, you've got a fresh Nick Bosa running at your gas left tackle. Like that's just that's that's nightmare fuel. And I I think that Abukam with with um, with Drake Jackson and you mentioned all the other guys Amenahu and Bosa. Um, I like that I mentioned Amenahu before Bosa there. Um, and Jordan Willis. And Jordan Willis playoff playoff hero. hero. Jordan Willis, that's him. So I, I just I, I do I think there's an opportunity for the pass rush to be really good. I have some Samson Ebukam stats here for you. Okay. So uh, I found these stats at ninerswire.com. Are the they advanced metrics about. or just stats? Yeah, boy, are they. This is according to Pro Football Focus. Okay, good. I love a good advanced metric. They're just stats. They're just <laughs> okay. Through ten games, all right, he had eleven pressures and one sack. Five of those pressures came in Week Eight against Chicago. So in the other nine games, he had six pressures um, over the final regular season game over the final seven regular season games and three playoff games. Um, he had 34 pressures and eight sacks, including one in each postseason game per PFF because they don't do half sacks. Right. And that's just that, that uptick in production is not just like oh he got hot for a few weeks like he figured something out in this defense and I'm I'm just in lockstep with you I think he's if if you set the over under at like six and a half sacks I think I'm taking the over I think he could have a huge year.
2: He's had four and a half sacks officially in the
1: last three seasons. Right. So can he get two more than that this year in a defense that's going to maximize a skill set yeah. that he's now comfortable in? Like that just yeah. I. I like if if you came from the future and were like, Yeah, he was second on the team in sacks and he had double digits, it wouldn't
2: <laughs> if what? I came from the future and my big news would say was Samson <laughs> Evercam <Nebuchadnezzar. laughs>
1: style. Oh God. That'd Guys are back from
2: the future, and guess what? You'll <laughs> never believe like, what? it that Samson Evercam had nine sacks last year. <laughs> oh
1: man. What what do gas prices look like? more important than that yeah yeah what does samson neighbor kind of sack totals look like jordan willis because had funny. they're TFLs. both through the roof <laughs> um Jimmy yeah, Gruppel that... is the starting quarterback <laughs>
2: oh, wow God, God. joke. that would be one um should we should we uh transition to light minutes shouts to samus yeah, I have... and andy lou over at light years
1: yeah, Light Years Pod. If you like basketball and you're not listening to Light Years, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Blue Wire Network, Light Years Podcast. I have like a couple minutes here. Do you think the Warriors are going to win the title?
2: Yeah, I think they're going to win the title. And I think they're going to win the title on Thursday. Wow. I think they really, have, I think they turned the corner in game four on the Celtics. And one thing that really stuck out to me throughout the entire playoffs and you know and watching the celtics from afar and I, i'll admit i didn't watch every game but i did watch a lot uh i watch all the eastern conference finals games um i just never trusted them in big moments right like a lot of their games were either blowouts or them falling apart in the fourth quarter and At this point, based on how the last two games have gone, where you have Steph Curry carrying a mostly struggling supporting cast with 43 points and getting that crucial win in Boston, which I think is going to end up being the biggest game of the series when we look back on it. And then them limiting Curry to 16 points in game five and the worst shooting night of his career, while the others like Andrew Wiggins and GP2 and Jordan Poole and Draymond Green having a better game. Like, that's gotta be demoralizing for the Celtics because it's that it they're coming out of game for you. you're Like, all right, we gotta stop Curry. If if we take the head off the snake, maybe the, the snake will die. Well, the snake didn't die, and the 40 and the four the Warriors got production that they needed from the guys not named Steph Curry. And Clay Thompson also right, had right. a nice game and hit a couple, a few big really things in the second half. And played much better defense. So we haven't seen like It's sort of been a slow burn, right? Like there hasn't been an aha game for the Warriors where you're like, man, they just really look fully actualized. Like they get it. And I think and maybe I'm just reading too much into what happens, what's been happening in these games, because each game is its own personality and whatnot. But like to have a game where Curry did what he did in game four and then for Boston to limit his scoring in game five while the Warriors still won by double digits. I just think the combination of Steph is probably going to have a good shooting game because based on the history of Steph Curry's career, whenever he's had a bad shooting game, more times than not, he comes out with a remarkable shooting game the next night. Mm-hmm. Game six, Clay is going to be a factor, I feel like. And Clay has played much better defensively the last two games. That's been the key, man. Which has been massive. Andrew Wiggins is Maple Jordan all of a sudden, just like jumping from the free throw line and splitting two guys and you that, know, putting in
1: clutch layups in the finals. That like layup did not get that move around Robert Williams while getting fouled by white. Somebody fouled him on that move. Sure. And he still gets to the left hand and scores. That was sick. And I just don't think got talk it got talked about enough.
2: Yeah. And and so all of those things paired with the fact that Boston just has not been able to execute in the fourth quarter. They keep turning the ball over um, and they lost back-to-back games for the first time in the playoffs. Like I think the Warriors turned a corner and I'm kind of expecting them to win the title Thursday night in Boston because, and I think it's gonna be tough, but I just think, the Warriors are at a point now where they have a mental edge over Boston. And it really starts defensively, right? Like the Warriors defense in the first quarter, a game five was incredible. And I think they understand now what type of defensive intensity it takes to win on the road in particular. And I think they're going to break the will of the Celtics on Thursday.
1: If they haven't, it feels like like every Celtics bucket is a really tough two or a wide open three. Yeah. And I just don't know how sustainable that offense is. And it starts to me with clay's defense because it was Andrew Wiggins on Jason Tatum and then like scrambling to cover Jalen Brown, who was driving and kicking. And now they're rotating and they're finding an open look like that's how, that's how it kind of went in games one and three. Well, clay ratcheted up the defense late in game four And it shut the faucet off on the Celtics offense. And then you saw it again last night. Like if it wasn't a wide open three and and Boston missed a ton of threes early, it wouldn't surprise me if they hit a bunch early in in this next one. But if it wasn't a wide open three or Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum hitting like a tough fall away or like a crazy layup and one, they just weren't scoring. And I don't know how sustainable that is to win two straight. Now, maybe they have an Al Horford game where Al Horford gets hot and goes six for eight from three. And, um, you know, maybe the next game it's Marcus smarter and Derek white. Like they, they, they have enough players that they can definitely still win the series. Cause if you get game six at home, anything happens in a game seven. We know how that goes. Yeah. But when you look at just kind of the totality of the series, did you look at it as kind of building towards something? It, it looks like the Warriors have adjusted to Boston to this point more than Boston has adjusted to golden state. And they finally did the kitchen sink at Steph Curry thing. And it didn't matter because the Warriors are still going to score. Like that's what makes Steph Curry different. When you throw the, when you throw the kitchen sink at him, he's not like, great. I'm shooting over two guys. I'm over nine. I'm going to, I'll go over 15. If I, if I have to like, no, he's going to get, rid of it and now they have a 3 on 4 and the Warriors are going to dice you in 3 on 4 situations every single time. They're going to get layups and that's what happened last night yeah. or on Monday night. Yeah. So I I don't I mean Boston's deep, it's not like the Warriors are scoring 130 a game. I they think they've scored between 100 and 108 in in all five games. So it's like they're scoring a ton, but they're scoring enough and I just don't know unless Boston is red hot from 3 what exactly the adjustment is for them and maybe there's something and they like i said they win the next two but
2: we talked about it in the group chat too like clay has gotten better wiggins has gotten better i think gp2 has gotten better Well, i collect is awesome while collectively a lot of the celtics guys have gotten worse like Derek white hasn't done really anything since game one
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and jalen brown was a turnover machine in game five And Tatum just hasn't been good in the fourth quarter. And as the Warriors, you know, particularly with GP2 getting more comfortable now that he's back in the mix with Klay Thompson playing much better defensively the last two games. I just find it hard to see a scenario where Jason Tatum has a 20 point fourth quarter. Which feels like what the Celtics are going to need to win one of these games, because I think it's going to take an individual effort like that because the Warriors are playing so active defensively and getting out to their rotations, um, and preventing the Boston's good scores from getting easy looks that like, you know, it might and it, maybe it's like that, you know, they love giving Marcus smart open looks, which drives me insane because I think
1: it's so frustrating. He's going to hit like six of eight one game.
2: Yeah. He's not a good shooter, but like he will still make a few and he'll make a few big ones. Yes. And they they love just like jabbing at him, but still giving him that uncontested look. And I'm just like, it, just take two more steps, man. Just get a hand in his face. It's not costing you anything.
1: Right. <laughs> you
2: know, I know you want him to shoot, but you want him to shoot a contested shot,
1: especially not an open shot.
2: Right. Um, but no, I think Rob Williams is super hurt you know like their center he
1: looked he looked more immobile in game five than he has looked at any point in the series and i respect the hell out of that guy because he is a complete
2: monster he's awesome and i don't know what the warriors have been impacted by a big man like throughout one of the things throughout the warriors you know dynastic era or however you want to put it they typically just run big guys off the floor Yes. Like there aren't typically a lot of centers who like really impact the game against the Warriors because so often they just run these dudes off the floor. But Williams hasn't been the Warriors haven't been able to do that with him (laughs) while he's been hurt. Like he's immobile, but he's still effective enough to impact the game um, against the Warriors team that typically runs those dudes off the floor. So I'm I'm super impressed by that. But at some point it's like, you know, they've played two seven game series in a row. Jason Tatum has played a gazillion minutes. He's like leading the, the, the entire NBA in postseason minutes. And it's not even close. And Boston just kind of looks like they're, they're running out of gas. And I think being out of gas against a team that's been in the finals as many times as the Warriors and as hungry as the Warriors are after what they've gone through the last couple of years and everybody, you know, saying they need Durant to win titles and all that. I just, I, think we're going to get a very very good performance from the warriors on thursday and i would be shocked if we don't and i think uh i think
1: ultimately it's gonna mean winning another title um part of the reason they can't run robert williams off the floor is because draymond is not as effective offensively anymore and so robert williams doesn't really have to do anything to guard him he can just hang around in the paint and do his thing um but the other thing is something i'm really tired of and i have to go i had to go 25 minutes ago but um i'm having a lot of fun so um part of the one of the things i'm sick of is like well boston's the better team if they just stop turning the ball over like great and i'd be better at basketball if i was six eight you know like if, if it was some a fifth, point, we'd all be
2: drunk. Shouts, shouts, right, shouts. No,
1: right. If, if you struggle to dribble and then pass the ball to your teammates, maybe you're not that good. Like, that's just that. I, that's just that's like a pet peeve of mine. It's been with, very interesting. Like, well, the I Celtics know, are obviously better if they just cut down on these turnovers. Like, yeah. And when the Warriors cut down on turnovers, they're better too. Like, what the. F-
2: Right. Like if you you know, the Celtics are obviously better. They just need to score more points. And then, you know, they could prove it. It's it's <laughs> right. like, yeah, if you are what you are, right? You if like they lock the results, down the defense. The results seem speak for themselves. I understand like I understand the point. Like maybe you think the Celtics. And they could
1: still win in seven. I want that on uh, right. like they, it's not they off could. the
2: table. They could. But like I think people look at the Celtics and say, you between their depth and their length and how they don't really have any bad defensive players you could say you could look at the roster in comparison to the Warriors who came into the series. Clay Thompson quickly wasn't Clay Thompson. Jordan Poole hasn't been as good as he was during the regular season or earlier in the playoffs. And he's a sieve defensively. Draymond Green's not what he once was, right? Like, so if you look at each roster before coming into the, coming into the series, you could say, all right, Boston should win because they have more guys in their physical prime. They're better defensively. The Warriors have struggled against good defensive teams like memphis um who had a lot of length but now it's just like no the warriors are just more seasoned. like the warriors know what it takes they're a smarter team they play better in the fourth quarter um they make better adjustments and they just have the best player in the series in steph curry so ultimately like i get why you could look at it coming into the series and say yeah boston's better because i thought boston would win like and it like during the Memphis series, and I was trying to forecast, I was like, man, the Warriors better hope they don't play Boston because Boston's better than Memphis, and the Warriors are going to have a really tough time scoring against Boston. Well, now that it's played out and the Warriors are playing a lot better and they're getting more from Wiggins and Clay Thompson's back, I like the Warriors'
1: chances. Me too. Okay, let's get out of here. Subscribe, rate, review. Shout out to everybody who hung out for the basketball talk. There's going to be more of that if, uh, if the Warriors win or lose the title. So buckle up. Uh, Candlestick Chronicles will have more Red Hot 49ers content for you as well. That'll stay on your feed.
2: Tweet tweet Kyle if you want more interior offensive
1: line content. Or just any, like, legit. I will run with any idea you send me. So (laughs) fire away. I'm in there. All right, My mailbag is, what do you want me to write about? (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. See you guys.